G'day everyone, it's James Davis from the Pax8 Academy down here in APAC and I've I've got Mark from Vital Strategies with me based out of Singapore. How are you doing, Mark? Hey, great. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, James. I appreciate the time. Oh, I'm excited to get you on. I, I, I'm excited to start getting some Southeast Asian voices into, into the TSP talk segment and I know you've been around for a long time. Tell me a bit about your background and what you what you do. Absolutely. From. Thanks, James. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, yeah. First of all, great to be in Southeast Asia. Yes. <laughs> Huge market. Potential is tremendous, as I've always been talking to you about. Um, I've been in, um, I'm from back in the States. Uh, I came out to Asia quite some time ago. I've been actually up in APAC for about more than 20 years now. I was uh, in the tech sector back in Japan for about almost nine years. Uh, I was working with a lot of tech companies, SIs, and the big vendors, including Microsoft and SAP and other ones back then. And, and then went back to, back to States and then came out here to Singapore. That was about 13 years ago. Um, and what I've been doing for the last, you know, basically 20 plus years, my background has been around sales, sales management and partnership and building partner ecosystems for large and smaller companies. We do a lot of work around go-to-market strategies, and uh, for the last five years, really, it's been a lot working with uh, resellers, uh, such as Microsoft resellers, partners, and a lot of MSPs around helping them to build their go-to-market strategy and then ramping up, accelerating their sales organization. And along the way, helping with a lot of building processes and improving their, basically, scalability. So I'm excited to have you on. I, like you said, the Southeast Asian market is has massive opportunity. Right. From an ANZ perspective, we often broad stroke Southeast Asia. It, it's not right. as simple as that, is there? Tell me about sort of the, the landscape of, of the region. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Southeast Asia, of course, it's got a very mixed bag. Of course, you've got Singapore, which is highly mature, very, very, you know, the infrastructure is amazing. The, 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 the technology is sophisticated and companies are deep into it. The country itself has got a digital sort of like a nation mindset and, and they're the, the quite advanced. And you have countries like Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, uh, Thailand, of course, Vietnam. These markets very, very diverse in their ecosystem and, and their infrastructure and maturity level. Uh, so, yeah, that makes it very interesting trying to work in different places. Of course, culturally, economically, in, you know, socially, they're very, very different. And that's the fun part about being in the region because you go like an you know, hour and a half away is a completely different place. So definitely that makes the job more interesting. And of course, makes the MSPs, uh, I'm working with MSPs, sometimes more challenging because the kind of challenges you face in different markets are quite different. And you really have to understand uh, the layer of the land and work with them closely. And, and so, what other what other sort of major challenges, and how do they vary between the different countries? Yes, I mean, uh, look, I mean, the challenges at, at some level, I think you say every every country will have similar challenges, but a lot of times it depends. The question is the level, the degree of the challenge. Some markets, you know, some of the key challenges you see across, not just of course Southeast Asia is around uh, you know the, the messaging the complexity of the business become more and more complex and technology is becoming more complex um, you know the ability of a company to scale 
be able to address the customer needs. And a big one is, of course, the mindset of the leadership. Uh, when you have, uh, and you know, some mark, for example, in Singapore, it's a lot more advanced, com it's very competitive, uh, and to some extent less price sensitive as you go across other countries. That gives us some advantages, but of course, the challenge is, of course, uh, for some place in Singapore, is really about making sure uh, you don't become too generic, you don't sound like everybody else. Be able to differentiate yourself becomes a big issue because everybody has access to cloud. Everybody's got pretty much access to the same level of uh, talent. And the question is, how can you differentiate your own services and to be able to, uh, you know, get the customer uh, in, in other markets, say Malaysia and Indonesia, uh, you have issue of more price sensitivity. And again, and the mindset of break, fix, so like mindset, the more reactive approach to customer is more prevalent in some of those markets. Uh, that makes it tougher to take the conversation to the customer to the next level. Okay, yeah, everything is working now. So where, where can I give, how can I add value to your business? How can I not just make sure your laptop is running, but how can I save you 50%? on uh, 20% or something on your cost of, you know, your, your admin work or in your cost of doing business. So those conversations hasn't reached yet. So th that makes a little different. So is that a, sometimes it can be a chicken and an egg thing. Is it the, right. um, the MSPs in the different countries uh, aren't educated and mature enough themselves to drive that, that value through to, um, through to the end client or is it the end client won't even listen to those kinds of conversations even if the msp is a lot more mature right that, that's an excellent question the way i see it since my background has been go to market and sales and helping companies sales i always see it as really the job of the uh the, the, the vendor the customer the company to educate the customer uh i always go back to what uh you know, uh, Steve Jobs used to say, it's not, uh, you know, he said, you know, something like, it's not the job of the customer to know what they need, right? You, the vendor, you need to come up with, you know, those solutions and, you know, show the customer what they can do with it. Uh, the big thing to me, uh, I see a prevalent in a lot of markets, especially the markets that the MSPs are less mature is that a uh, lot of the uh, leadership is they still have a more of that break fix and reactive mindset that when something breaks, they're going to come to me, I'll fix it. And then, you know, then, then we move forward. Uh, that makes it uh, tougher to get beyond that. Now that mindset, the effect of that mindset is, of course, the fact that a lot of times we wait until something happens before we react. So our people not necessarily have the latest in training, latest you know, sort of like knowledge about what's coming up so they can proactively do something about it. Um, and also when it comes to customer, we'll just wait until they contact us versus us thinking of something and going to the customer and say, hey, how about this? Uh, so that, that sort of like makes it, that kind of replicates itself. Um, I was uh, talking to a, a company who is actually MSP, but the owner doesn't think he's MSP really. But he was saying, for example, his approach was that he thought, well, the MSP's uh, model doesn't work in Southeast Asia in some countries because the customers are too price sensitive and they don't want this stuff. So when you have that kind of mindset, then it's kind of hard to come up with innovative solutions for that customer. 
so that drives that behavior. And, and, and also, of course, that culture always filters down to the team, right? It, it does. And I, I wonder, you know, you've been around in the market for, for quite some time. My, my experience so far with a lot of Southeast Asian partners have had a very different journey to getting to the MSP sort of um, stage now. Like if I look at a traditional ANZ sort of MSP, a lot of those guys grew from fixing laptops and on-premise servers and stuff. They were break-fix from the start, where a lot of the right. um, Southeast Asian partners I've met have come from a lot more of the SI project delivery side, and it's sort of a very different mindset. Is that the same sort of thing you're seeing? or Right, yeah, definitely in some markets. Yeah, you do have a lot of those break-fix places in some of the markets like Malaysia, Indonesia, met a lot of partners who was basically they're the local person local shop who handled like laptops and fixes desktops back then and they gradually customers keep having this problem so they start expanding their sort of territory and doing bigger markets uh but definitely in places like singapore thailand a lot of these si's and things uh what happened i think for some of them they're big enough they had some little bit of development like customization they did for customers they had some technical skills in that area and they're reselling the products, you know, the licenses, the traditional on-prem licenses. And so what happened for them, the, the, the choice came in when people start shifting to cloud, they realize their margins on the traditional licenses don't cover it anymore. And, 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 and the integration fees cannot be as much in cloud. So they realize they really need to change, you know, the, because the, the revenue model didn't work anymore. So they had to find new revenue source. So that's why they started going toward the MSP model or some form of hybrid where they provide these, you know, the customization and things. And then on top of that, they sell more of an MSP, so like a subscription to maintain that. Uh, that, that definitely has been the case, especially for your newer company. Older companies usually do that break fix kind of a startup. And then, and, and that, that, that brings up another angle to it a lot of those companies who started that way and they've been reactive and they're still having a hard time adopting to the cloud environment and the business model. So they're still uh, sort of like, they're trying to survive on a very, very thin mar margins that has come from just reselling like cloud. And um, there's a lot more work to be done around their messaging and overall go-to-market strategy. It's it's really that's really interesting. And from from your perspective, living in Southeast Asia, is there much thought leadership around this? Like I find even for just ANZ, we like we've predominantly had US driven voices, and right. that MSP model, that one true MSP model, doesn't exactly translate one hundred percent to our market. Um, right. I, I'm wondering what how does how does thought leadership happening right. in Southeast Asia. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it, it, yeah, in Southeast Asia, as you know, Singapore being the main hub and being the main economics powerhouse here, a lot of company, countries around that look for look at uh, Singapore, see what's happening in Singapore. And they, they know, uh, again, Singapore also a lot of times following US, US and ANZ and Australia about how, you know, the next next step. So definitely Singapore has that power and that local regional leadership thing. Um, the other thing I found out is that when it comes to this MSPs, 
you have some of those bigger guys who are in a different sort of like a league. They have the they actually have a business plan. They actually have a team that's work on strategy, and they have a, and a different trajectory than the other ninety five percent of the very small one man, two man, five man, five person shops, right? And that's very different. Uh, so, but definitely, yeah, those those people work on a very different, and and they're the ones who actually are looking at Australia, US, and and a lot of times, of course, they have a partnership or being acquired by overseas companies. So they're already yep. getting that, uh, and totally that gap is getting bigger and bigger. I see. So that sparks a thought in, in my mind. So, but in sort of let's say the sort of mid-size MSPs, let's take those like really big, big um, MSPs out of the game because often when we're smaller, we're not going to operate like them. They're playing a different right. game. Right. What are you seeing with those sort of? What are you seeing the smaller MSPs that are doing really well? What are they? What are they doing? What are they taking advantage yeah. of? What are they selling? Right. Yeah. As as you would expect, especially in Southeast Asia, their strength has always been the fact that they have that personal contact. Right. I mean, I was talking in the middle of pandemic. I was talking to MSP, successful MSP that work in multiple countries, and just when you know there there's all these rules about going places and visiting customers, there are customers who are demanding for the salesperson to come in. Right, and the company said, "Okay, we'll do it." It's like, what? You have you have rules, <laughs> but it, it was just that personal thing was so important that override other stuff. Uh, definitely, the the thing that they try to and they're good at, and and it's part of cultural thing is that being having that personal connection and staying in touch with that you know customer, much more personal level that has worked well for them. But of course, the challenge with that is of course scalability of it. How much can you scale? Uh, and, and of course, that's a good part. Uh, what, what I found out in multiple MSPs is that they have these relationships. And when I look at the list, a huge list of customers they have, and then what they're offering them, they're just, they leave so much money on the table because there's so much potential. I look at it, it's like, oh my God, you got, you got all these services you can provide. But that it, again, it goes back to not being very proactive about it and not do much with it so it's just really uh, exploring that potential because you already have the customer i, I always say is you know the mcdonald's thing you know would you like to upsize you know <laughs> they don't ask that question would you like some fries with that you know it doesn't often happen i suppose going back to your point earlier if the um, comes from the top in their mindset isn't it if the, if the mm. owner and the the senior executive in the in the companies don't really have the confidence in what the business is and what the value is. It's very hard for everyone else to drive, lead, follow that lead, isn't it? It's, right. So I, I'm curious, what you you doing a lot of sales training? What's the right. what's the le level of acumen of salespeople? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, because we focus on go to market and sales and and helping the teams ramp up. Definitely what what we try to do, and I've, and I've done this dozens of times with companies, uh, resellers, MSPs, is that really try, first of all, make sure they have a better, much more clear understanding of who their real customer is and building their unique message. 
uh, and, and it's that the value messaging is the one that often lacks because after like first five seconds, it becomes like how many users, how many licenses, you know, you know that kind of question, how many, how many desktops you have, how many employees you got. Uh, and it doesn't it really, they don't go far enough about really differentiating themselves and their, their, their services. Um, and that, uh, the, the, and the fact that cloud has made it such a commodity, so it doesn't matter to the customer. And, 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 and then there's a funny thing is, it's a chicken and egg thing is it's because like the, many of the owners, they say, oh, the customer is very price sensitive. But then when I said, when I listened to, like I had a session with 20 different, 20 salespeople and they're from like six or seven different, uh, MSPs. Um, I do exercise at the beginning and I said, please write down what you do. What's your, to tell me what, 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 what do you sell? And as they may look at these things, they're almost identical. Okay. I'm selling office 365, you know, it's like, if you message is exactly the same, how's the customer going to decide it's going to be the price. So therefore that's all they know. So that's what they base their judgment on. Uh, we actually, we actually making that happen because the way we position ourselves and then they say, oh, the customer is price sensitive. Uh, so that, that makes it sort of like ironic to me. And so what I try to do really is first of all, make sure, uh, and the other thing we do a lot is around coaching owners and the sales managers. They have a sales manager, usually it's you know, sales manager owner about coaching them on how they need to actually see their business and change their, their messaging themselves and how they see their business and then make sure they can coach the salespeople after we do the program. Uh, so then when we get into the salespeople, really the first thing we start with, let's understand your customer. What is it that they value? We do a lot of customer journey mapping, make sure you know what the customer journey is in their engagement with you. And where are the value points in the journey from you? And then next step is really, how can you add more value? And that's where you get ideas around new services, new offerings that helps your customers go beyond, you know, Office 365 support, you know, about improving the businesses and processes. So, so what I'm picking up with what you're telling me is a lot of it's the same challenges we have everywhere. Uh, it, it's really small business mindset of how we, we've got probably technical people that own the businesses that have been doing this for a long time and they have, have aren't thinking about the client perspective and framing up a go-to-market like you just said. Um, and then that mentality shift like, like we've outlined in terms of the confidence and the direction inside right. the business so everyone else can align to it. What's... What's legitimately different in the Southeast Asian market? Like I, I'm very much hearing it's just the same problems that probably a lot of ANZ MSPs we just dealt with 10 years ago. Um, and right. we're just slightly more advanced. Like we're, it's not that we're anything special. We're just a bit further along. What actually right. is legitimately different? Yeah, to be honest, I mean, one big one, that's a great question. The big one is, of course, there's that lag that's, happens in the technology that definitely is there um and the other one is uh, really about the ways of operating with uh within the country 
of course, culturally, socially, the way you go about doing business is quite different. And if you don't come across as being a local, you're going to not going to get the same level of intimacy with a customer. Oh, you're just from Singapore or you, I mean, you have the same thing from Singapore to Malaysia, Singapore to Indonesia. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, and, and having that, having that approach, I, I, because I, I, I do a lot of programs across region and especially since I lived in Japan for a long time, a lot of times, you know, companies, you know, talk about oh, how the countries are different. I said, look, you, you know, the, the CFO in, 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 in our sales manager in Japan versus U.S. versus Singapore, they pretty much have the same KPI, is revenue. Now, the question is, now, the difference is, how do they go about getting people to do their job is <laughs> different. The way they approach the customer, the way that they talk to the, you know, their employees, the way they talk to the customer, the way they engage, and their process is different because of the cultural factors. And that makes a big difference. And uh, when it comes to Southeast Asia, I find that when you have that understanding of the local markets and show respect for local way of doing things, that gives you a lot of credibility with the customer and builds that trust much faster. Uh, because, uh, you know, and, and knowing what the priorities of the countries are, because, for example, going to, you know, Indonesia, for example, a company and talking about efficiency may not be the way in to the business if they don't care about efficiency. A lot of times they don't because inefficiency means jobs and so more jobs. So if you, if you don't adjust that, it's going to be a problem. And also when you talk about transformation, you know, what's the impact of transformation uh, is you got to word it, frame it a little differently. If you talk to a Western country versus somebody in Southeast Asia, that, that, that's going to make a big impact. Um, but yeah, definitely focus on some, you know, initial things about mindset that becomes a very big factor and change their mindset and how they operate. That's going to be a key. I'm really curious. You sparked you spark my curiosity here. So you used Indonesia as an example of some of the cultural, um, how, to, how to frame up, I'm not going to go in with efficiencies as the main, the main target. So if you gave me sort of a quick rundown of what the, you know, I'm trying to think of how to say this, like, What's what is sort of the main catch lines for for technology in the different countries around the place? Uh, like staying with like in Indonesia as an example, like what are, right, what right. are they typically? Yeah, I mean, yeah. One thing is uh, one thing is about how does it make your the harmony within your team better? How how does your team work better together? You have less conflict. How does it actually brings you closer to the customer? and gives you a more chance to engage with a customer and have that build a more stronger relationship with the customer. Uh, the other one, I, I want, you know, especially like, you know, place like Indonesia, Malaysia is how does it help you, you know, help your managers have a better, uh, you know, improve the quality of employment, the employees that they have, make them more, you know, support their employees better so they can have, and a lot of times it's not, it's really about, you know, how does it make sure you have better, more job security? So that also is a big issue is uh, for yourself, of course, uh, and, and, and really not changing things too much. Because if you go in with a very big transformation kind of like mindset, you're going to have a lot more resistance because the mindset is going to be, well, we've been running this business 30 years like this, and it's been like this, and 
and therefore that sort of like a very hard approach is going to just shut them down very fast and then you can't get past that point uh so and and of course the other one is you have to massage the conversations a little longer to make sure to get to the that point that you can have those more serious conversations is going to be important okay and i i'm hearing what i'm hearing is it's really there's not a whole lot of difference it's really just understanding the localized localized messaging of what right. what technology actually brings right um and I, I suppose that comes down to where are you hearing the information from and what value what valuable insights that can provide and i know from my right. perspective being in anz and like i've made a career out of this is pretty much translating right. all the u.s thought leadership to make it work here Right, right, right. But yeah, no. yeah so I agree with you. I mean, it doesn't. Sit, to be honest, yeah. I, I mean, I've been, I've been teaching, coaching people around mentoring sales and leaders across region for almost twenty years now. Even when I was a, you know, individual contributor, uh, what I was find is that it's, it's, yeah, the, it seems like a small thing. I'll give you an example. When I do like a workshop, a lot of times I work with global companies. They give me a program, say, you know, roll this out across all the countries. And I take the program. And overall, the, the key messages are not necessarily that different. But what I find out is the difference is that that 5 or 10% localization makes all the impact on adoption. Uh, for example, you know, a lot of times it's very common. Uh, uh, U.S. company, European company that said, oh, here's a case study. We did this customer success from, you know, like in Holland and you take that to India. Of course, like, well, that's not India. So it, it, even though it just changing a little bit, you know, oh, yeah, here's a you know, hundred million dollar deal in, in U.S. and taking it to like Malaysia. It's like, well, we don't have a hundred million dollar deal that often. As soon as they hear that, they just turn off. So is that five or 10 percent you know that may seem very negligible five percent ten percent but it, that's that little thing that makes a big difference in adoption and the approach the way you actually deliver it is going to make a big impact uh so yeah i totally agree with you it may seem a small amount but that little bit of you know understanding how to make it more relevant to the audience is going to make a big difference it's a funny thing in the sales the same thing when you're making a messaging for a, you know, a VP of sales versus a, a director of, you know, some other, you know, uh, you know, uh, director of uh, products, you know, it may seem like a small amount, but that little difference could make all the, you know, that, that little change could make all the difference in, in them saying, oh yeah, that I, I see that. Um, so yeah, a lot of times it may be that, but I totally agree with you. At some level, it may not be so big. So, what what services are MSPs in, that are successful MSPs in the region? What are they actually doing for their clients? What's the, what is their go to market like high level go to market message? Obviously, it's different for each, each client that you've coached with. But what sort of what what sort of the themes there? Yeah, the, the one that MSPs that I've seen, smaller ones, not, not the giant ones, but bigger yep. ones, but the small ones that have been seen being very successful is really, first of all, once they have a customer in their list, 
they don't stop there. They actually start building more and more, you know, engagements and points of engagements with that customer and start really, and it goes back to the ownership and the leadership to say, look, we have a list of you know, 200, 500 customers. <clears throat> what are the other areas that we can add value or really talking to the customer a lot and finding out what is it, where can we, where can I actually help the customer? Uh, and there's a revenue opportunity. Uh, is that really, I mean, <laughs> it's universal. They just care more about the customer and really understand their customers better. That's a universal, doesn't matter where you go. Uh, that's the one that I've seen change. For example, I know a company, they were doing basic office services, uh, Microsoft Office, of course, they're, they're doing Azure, and they had some development on, you know, locally. And then what happened, of course, the pandemic happened, they realized suddenly all their vendor, all their customers came back, so, oh my God, we have to be online. And of course, oh my God, we have to have uh, uh, everybody work from home, work from home thing. So the, the, he was very quick at quickly coming up with a, working with the, with the vendors around shipping out these laptops to the, all the customers, employees, like within a, two days, right? And then also at turning on their development, beefing up a little bit more, so they can allow some small apps for within the company uh, be able to share data. It really helped them to differentiate themselves because they were more in tune. And same, the exact same customer base. I know other MSPs who just basically waited and sat and waited for them to call and see if they have a problem. And of course, the gap was very different uh, where these guys become a lot more successful and they actually expanded the business quite a bit. Um, so yeah, definitely, uh, it's about really understanding. And, and the other part is they're looking for new opportunities. Of course, a big one for them has been security, right? Because the talk has been around this many, many cases of those things happening. So they've actually latched on to doing that. Uh, and at the first step, what big difference was that they actually have a business plan, a written down business plan, exactly what they want to do. And that makes a very, very big difference in you know where they're going. So cybersecurity is a huge topic around the globe. Right. In 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 Southeast Asia in particular, like I know Singapore has regulations on certain um, needing licensing to do, um, deliver certain security um, solutions right. and services. What are what, but what are the different countries in, in, in the region? What are they doing? What are the successful ones doing to sell cybersecurity? Yeah, look, uh, you absolutely are. Singapore is pretty strict about that stuff. They already have rules and companies and organizations have to follow. Some other countries like Malaysia, they start, I think they already have one, uh, but not as strict. Other countries, they still are not there yet. Because again, the infrastructure, a lot of these countries, the infrastructure is not solid enough. And on top of that, that skill set, they have a skill gap. If they want to implement that, they're going to have a real problem with talent and they have to bring it from outside, which that causes different problems for them. Um, so definitely the ones that have been very good at, they've been successful at it. Um, the, the big thing has been a lot of companies have approached, MSPs approaching as more of a uh, sort of like a get your foot in the door pitch about, oh, Sabish, have you heard about this, you know, this, scam or this hacker thing, try and get in. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, they're approaching it more tactically, right, and being more strategic about it. 
to make it as part of a bigger picture, a bigger level, sort of like a service that they could provide. But again, it gives them some extra revenue and might give a little, you know, uh, booster shot, <laughs> you know, for them. Um, but uh, definitely, uh, and, and one thing I've seen, like Singapore, you can find some of the, uh, uh, you know, cybersecurity, you know, more like a service providers that are becoming more sophisticated. And most other countries, I haven't seen that many in other markets yet. Uh, yeah, okay. Definitely with smaller ones. Uh, partially it becomes that back to the point that they say, oh, the customer don't understand it. They don't need it. And to me, it goes back to, well, have you educated your customer first? <laughs> you know, I think the need is there. They just don't know it. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'd say the same, like from my experience, especially in the cybersecurity side, the ones that are successful at it, it they, they take it with a framework approach. Like you said, they're right. creating a solution. They've got, they've got structure to it and then can talk to it and, and, and and educate the clients. And this is probably where like Singapore has the advantage because they've got a lot more government driven stuff. It's right. I've seen the change in Australia from that, the government leading and um, educating the wider business market around cybersecurity and giving a framework to work towards. Right. Um, but I see it in New Zealand where they don't really have that. So they're adopting a lot of the MSPs aren't waiting for government and they're just taking the essential aid from Australia they're taking advice around using the CIS controls and, and then running with those instead of waiting for the rest of the market. So there's right. a lot of opportunity there for partners in Southeast Asia to do the same. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I like I could just ask you a bunch more questions for for hours upon hours on this. But in talking about this and, and starting to wrap up, what's your sort of major major takeaways that you want people to, you know, the partners listening to this, what do you, what do you think their next step should be? If they're, if they're in this sort of break-fix mindset, they've heard what you're talking about and going, oh, this sounds good, I can, I can see some opportunities, but I don't know sort of where to start. Right. What, 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 what would be your final recommendations? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I think, I'm sure I'm not uh, I'm not the first one saying it. I'm sure they've heard it before. <laughs> but it comes down to the first thing is you really need to really look at your business plan. Go back first of all, see if you have a business plan. Two to two to three years, I would say. I mean, five years these days too far away. Said so two to three years business plan. Do you have one on the paper exactly where you want to be? Uh, if you don't have it, you need to create one. And the best way to me to create, you know, I see people that created. Even if you have two people, two employees, if you don't have any employees, just your family member, spouse, somebody, think about a simple one pager about what's your plan, where you want to be in two to three years. And the plan might be you want to sell the business, that's fine. But then you have to actually start planning for it if you want to get more money for it, right? So you got to do that business plan. Um, and, and of course, one step, you know, and, and that, that may lead or is it, you know, one or the other is that about your mindset you need to work on your mindset exactly where, you know do you want to stay with the you know the way you've been doing business on since whenever uh you know that kind of like a reactive sort of mindset and looking at the market looking at where the technology is going looking at all the customers are going because the customers are not waiting for us 
they got a business to run. They're going to do what it takes for them to get the business done and pay their bills. Now, do we want to be part of that? Do you want to be a active player in there? Or do we want to just be somebody that just call when something breaks? You know, it's like, uh, do you want to just be called? Uh, yeah, the, the, the guy you call when you have something break. Or do you want him to say, oh, you know, if we, oh, we have, we, there's some technology happen, call, call, call James, find out what's going on, <laughs> you know? Uh, yep. So that's the first step. And the other one is, it's really about, you need to decide on investing more in talent and talent development. That may be yours because maybe you're the only person, but you can't, the, the way things are going, the technology is moving, uh, the vendors are moving and the customers are moving. Um, you got, you, you know, if you're not already, you fall behind very quickly. So you need to do that investment on talent. And um, really, uh, to me, it's like, you know, you got to drink your own Kool-Aid. If you're going out, if you want to go out to the customers, trying to help them become better at their, better, become more efficient, more scalable, you got to start from home. You need to look at your own business, your own processes, and how do you, how can you actually be the model that actually, when you go to the customer, you can talk with confidence that you've done it, at least for your own business to make sure you build those efficiencies and start automating as much as you can and, and so that you can help your customers be more successful. So definitely at the end of the day, it's all about talent and you know, you know, the, 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 how much you know, how much your people know and their mindset. You know, skill set you can teach people, but if you don't have the right mindset, you can't, you can't do much beyond that. I, I love that advice and I think, um... I would wrap up with saying as well, like when people, a lot of the time when people hear this kind of thing of becoming more mature, they, they think they need to jump to the end and they need to right. be super mature. They need to be like what the real big guys are operating like. You right. only need to be one or two maturity steps ahead of your client right. because the further you, you get away in maturity from them, they're not going to be your clients anymore. Right. So I think they're like what you're just saying is like just, just start to get out in front of it and be proactive and, and bring your clients along for the journey as well. Um, and you can grow absolutely. together. Absolutely. That's, yes, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Well, we better, we better wrap up or we'll keep talking forever. This, this has been great having you on Mark and no doubt we'll have, have you on again to share, share some wisdom. So thanks for joining me. Great. Well, thanks so much. Thanks James. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, no worries until next time. 